Stella made a beat, so it's go time. What's up, everybody? This is Nathan Chester here. We are the Core 4 Podcast. We are part of GBB's SB Nation's Podcast Network. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes or Google Podcasts or anywhere else where you get your podcast. I am Nathan Chester. We do not have Parker Fleming tonight. And joining me is Sean Coleman, GBB Senior Staff Writer from the 3 and D Podcast. Sean, what's up, buddy? Doing all right. Now, I will tell you here in a heartbeat, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm not going to be able to fill Parker's shoes, but that does not mean I will not talk bad about him. I'm kidding. Thanks for having me, Nathan. It's great to have you on, man. And we have a lot of things we got to talk about. The Grizzlies are obviously coming off a huge win tonight to put them four games ahead of the Portland Trailblazers for the eighth spot in the West. And there's also a particular debate that you and I – need to have it's been in the wings for quite a long time why don't you tell the people what this debate is sean well so and we'll get to it here in a bit but you know it's funny the debate that we're looking at it doesn't have to do with the grizzlies but it does have to do with uh with memphis tennessee basketball uh for those who have listened to 3d and have listened here i'm a huge tennessee vols fan your boy nathan is a big memphis tigers fan so nathan has go ahead Oh, no, no, I'm just agreeing. You go ahead. Ah, So Nathan has taken it upon himself to, on a frequent basis, point out about the struggles of beloved Tennessee volunteer basketball player Grant Williams. Myself and others, including Jack Noonan from GBB, have pointed out that Grant Williams is not so much of a disappointment this year as Nathan likes to point out. Here in a few moments, we'll see who has the better case as to Grant Williams' rookie year and how it's going. And I am definitely looking forward to that. But before we get into that rabbit trail, I want to talk about the Grizzlies here tonight and what they were able to accomplish. Um, to me, um, obviously, there's still a lot of games left in this season, especially as you go into the all-star break here. Um, and even with a four-game lead, that could vanish in an instant. I think it was in 2015, the New Orleans Pelicans were – four games back at the eighth spot, eight games left in the season. They were able to close that gap and make the playoffs. Um, even the Grizzlies themselves, I believe it was back in 2012, um, they were two games back of the L.A. Clippers for the fourth spot with two games left in the season, and the Clippers lost both of those games, and the Grizzlies won those two next two, and they had the tiebreaker and were able to have home court advantage. So the Grizzlies are in a good spot regardless. It's really awesome to see the spot that they're in right now. It is, and and the and the thing about it is, is that they they have weathered the storm a little bit. You know, I was I don't necessarily know if you want to call a, say a critic, but I I I wanted to you know not get so 
um, you know, get on cloud nine after January because there were some contributing factors outside of the Grizzlies control that helped them out. A very manageable schedule, a lot of home games, and, and an offense that was playing well. Well, now our offense has, has regressed a little bit. We've come back down after, t- after you know, when the competition's gotten a little bit harder. Teams have scouted us. But the big, big key is we're showing signs of becoming a more complete team. Our defense has, has played well. We'll get to that in a, a bit, I'm sure. But with our defense emerging, um, I, that is an encouraging sign and one that I think continues to raise our floor that will allow for us to remain competitive and get some wins even as the schedule you know, gets downright brutal after the All-Star break. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you on the defensive end, especially because I was kind of in the same boat. Um, I thought they had a solid shot at the playoffs, but I did realize the schedule was going to toughen up after the All-Star break. And no matter how good the Grizzlies were after John Morant returned from the back injury and DeAnthony Melton became a consistent part of the rotation, even if they were truly buying into Taylor Jenkins' offense and everything was starting to mesh together in a way that we didn't really expect at that point, it, it was absolutely absurd how well the offense was playing. I think over a Remembering a, a tweet from Fast Break Breakfast uh, correctly, over a 15-game 15, 15 stretch, they had a better offensive efficiency than the 2015 State Warriors. That's absolutely absurd. That was never going to last at all. But when you see the offense basically crashing back down to earth so hard that it might kill the dinosaurs all over again in the way that it has over the last few weeks, and you see them still winning games because of how well they're now playing on the defensive end of the game, this is the final proof and evidence I need to say they are once and for all a good basketball team. Um, I've been kind of holding off on that. I've always thought the playoffs are a real possibility, but the Western Conference has been so bad this year that you could be a mediocre to bad basketball team and maybe sneak in. The eighth spot in the Eastern Conference right now is eight games below 500. It's absurd how bad the bottom half of each conference has been, but the Grizzlies have proven once and for all that they're a good basketball team. They are a legitimately good all-around basketball team, one of the youngest, uh, the youngest basketball team in the league, but still a very good one. And that's really, to me, worth celebrating considering their youth, considering what that we thought they were going to be this year. It's just insane. It really is. And that, and that's the thing that I'll say is, you know, everybody has talked about, you know, highlights and high ceiling. That was how they were going to describe the Grizzlies. And I agree with that completely. But I, I, I've kind of bought into the philosophy with my sports teams of the high floor, high ceiling philosophy. And I think that this front office has done such a phenomenal job, Nathan, of creating a high floor. And because of that, it's no longer, in my opinion, the argument that, you know, the West, yeah, the West, you know, stinking it up at the bottom of the playoff picture, that has a lot to do with it. But such a high floor, and what I mean by that is, is that when now as you're featuring Melton and you're featuring Anderson and you're and you you let Tyus work through his struggles, Brandon Clark, you now have yourself 
arguably one of the best second units in the game. The Grizzlies are one of me and uh, Justin Lewis were talking about it on 3 and D. We may not have the most talented bench, but in terms of a team that can sit there and play 10 to 11 guys a night comfortably, we have one of the deepest benches in the game. So that's the thing about it. A lot, featuring rotations, allowing for Anderson and Melton to play together and improve the defense, allowing for Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark to play together and just absolutely outrunning reserves from other teams. All that has come together and allowed for the Grizzlies to really set themselves apart, I think, in this race as a team that, you know, when it comes to taking care of business, you know, like they generally have against the other teams they're facing for the playoff picture, they're right there. And I think that our depth and and that high floor philosophy, us being able to compete with any team any night, that's a big reason why we're four games ahead for that eighth spot right now. Yeah, and it's what separates them from Portland and some of the other challengers. Maybe not so much New Orleans. New Orleans is a very legitimately good basketball team in their own right right now and in a big of a hole from the beginning of the year to properly make up that ground. We'll see on that front, but you look at Portland – And Damian Lillard over the last month has been one of the best offensive players in NBA history. But you see who they have to rely on night in and night out. Anthony Simons is a good, solid young player. But is he a guy that you want to rely on for heavy minutes every single night when you have Rodney Hood um, out for an extended period? No, I don't think he is. Do you want to have to rely on Nasir Little? Do you want to have to rely on Mario Hezonia? When we're on the topic of high floors, you're right when you say the Grizzlies have a higher floor than a team like the Portland Trailblazers. And this is a conversation that Parker and I have had multiple times before. Um, When you have a young team, especially a young, talented team, that's simply not enough if you're looking to take the next step and finally become a good team. Um, Not this past offseason, but the offseason before that. The Phoenix Suns, in an effort to finally take the step and mold their young talent into something worth worthwhile and tangible. Um, They signed Isaiah Cannon, they signed Ryan Anderson, and they signed Trevor Ariza that offseason. Trevor Ariza might have been a trade. I don't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, they brought in three veteran players. But Trevor Ariza is the type of guy that if you put him on a good team, he will play well. And as you saw when he was – where where was Ariza before he got traded to Portland? Sacramento. If he's on a bad young team, he's not going to look very good. Ryan Anderson was at the very end of his career. He really couldn't even stick in the league anymore. Um, Isaiah Cannon, um, not a, he's a guy that's managed to hang around for a couple years, but not a particularly good player. And hopefully he's able to reignite his NBA career after he broke his leg last year. But those three guys are not good veteran players that you could rely on. When you look on the Grizzlies at guys like Jonas Valanciunas, Tyus Jones, Kyle Anderson, and even if you want to go back to Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill, those are all good NBA. They're not just veteran presence to have in the locker room to improve the chemistry of your team and keep everybody in line. Those are guys that give you a high floor. These are good, intelligent, high IQ basketball players that have been around for a long time now, and they do raise the floor of this team. Um, I remember the first game of the season when the Grizzlies played the Miami Heat. Um, The game completely fell out of control. Grizzlies led or the game was very close for three, three and a half quarters, and then the Grizzlies youth, Um, completely dropped the floor out from under them. They ended up losing by 20-something. But you see those type of moments are few and far between when you have established veteran presence in your locker room like the Grizzlies do. It's what separates them. You're right. 
And that's the thing about it. You know, we heard for probably a month before we traded Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder, you know, they, they're trading them would be addition by subtraction almost. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to badmouth Solo and, and Jay Crowder. They played their part. But the thing about it is, is that their play was just not there. They no longer, their play could no longer support the glue veteran glue guy presence that people had value in. And so that's the thing, though, that, you know, it comes down to. It's the veterans being there are important, but they have to be utilized and they have to be effective. And credit to Taylor Jenkins on how he's used these veterans, you know, putting Kyle Anderson in the starting lineup, allowing, you know, I know Tosh Jones isn't a, a veteran, but he he's obviously much more seasoned than a lot of players on the roster, allowing for him to work through his struggles and get to where he is. But I want to point out something about Jonas. Brandon Clark tonight had arguably the best game of his career. Maybe it's in the top three. But the thing about it is, is that Taylor Jenkins effectively used Brandon Clark as that big, as a running big who could move. The Trailblazers had no answer. They were fatigued. They'd played five games now in less than a week. Brandon Clark for the second and third quarter made his mark. He established a lead for the Grizzlies. How did Taylor Jenkins, though, you to do that in the fourth quarter? He put Jonas back in. Now, I'm not, I don't know, you know, this may be a stretch, but I kind of look at it as like, you know, a starter and a reliever in baseball when it comes to the front court rotation. A lot of times, Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. may be able to get the Grizzlies to lead because of their athleticism and things like that. Jonas, though, is a good closer. 18 rebounds tonight. And over the past five minutes, I counted four to five rebounds in which he was in a crowd of two or three um, uh, Portland Trailblazers trying to get an offensive rebound. Jonas was the one who corralled it. That is very important for this Grizzlies team, especially when they don't have a lot of strong rebounders. And it also shows how good this front office is. In the trade with Justice Winslow, they were able to turn James Johnson into Gorgie Dang, who can also do that off the bench. So it's just, it's a whole commitment from the front office, Nathan, in that every guy has his role. Jonas is a veteran. I get he has his limitations. Let the young guys get the lead. Jonas is the one who closed it out tonight. And now when he's on the bench, we have someone who can do similar stuff that he can in Gorgie Dang. It's just being able to put good talent together and talent that you can use effectively from the top to the bottom of the roster. Absolutely. And when you're talking about uh, Jang and Valanciunas when it comes to Brandon Clark, now Portland, very obviously by the eye test and statistically, are one of the worst interior defenses in the NBA. Um, I could not imagine, side note, having Hassan Whiteside on my basketball team because I think if I were sitting courtside, I think I'd try to strangle him. <laughs> um, I have never seen such a physically and athletically gifted person gives such little effort when they're on the basketball court. Um, I think Brevin Knight called it best when John Morant basically just elevated and Hassan Whiteside barely moved a muscle and laid a finger roll out on top of him with about a minute left in the game. Um, but with that being said, it's scary to me how good Brandon Clark was tonight because what was different about this game than it was for pretty much every single game for Brandon Clark this year? What was the difference, Sean? To me, it was just he was effective. He was more effectively used, in my opinion. Is that what you were getting at? Essentially, he's got he's not having to play the five and backup lineups. He's not having to take extremely physical and brutal 
cruiser like Gorgie Ding. He takes up space because of his size, and he can space the floor out to the three-point line. And that creates room and opportunities for Brandon Clark on the offensive end. And I don't think it was just how horrible, and trust me, they were terrible, Portland's interior defense was. There was something different. There was something, there was an extra layer of space. There was extra uh, extra realm of movement for Brandon Clark tonight. And I think it's because he wasn't having to play the backup five. Agreed. And that's where you're looking at it. It, it, You know, when Gorgie Dang is added, you know, I I wrote about it a little bit with Justin Bell on a GBB piece. Um, By the way, before I forget about it, you have been absolutely killing it on your GBB GBB pieces, Nathan. Heck of a job to you over the past. Absolutely. You have been as well, Sean. I don't think you get enough credit for all the analytical work that you do. Well, the, the thing that I'll say, though, is that, you know, I pointed out, thank you, I pointed out with Justin Bell and um, Jordan Bell, excuse me, and Dang, them bringing in, they're going to be able, you know, Brandon Clark and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., they are getting to a point in the season that they have not been before. Jaron Jackson Jr. only played 58 games last year. Brandon Clark, you know, hasn't played this many games in the season. But it's the level that they are on defense that also makes a big difference. So if Dang is back now and Brandon Clark is in the game with him, just think about how much better the defense could be with Brandon Clark being more free to move. You know, we saw it in the summer league and we've seen it all season. Brandon Clark is a one-man fast break. He can stop the ball through a steal or a block, and then he could be on the run with the fast break, whoever the ball handler is, to finish at the rim. However, now with Dang being the anchor at the rim, Brandon Clark could be up closer to the perimeter. So not only could he contest more shots on the perimeter, he might be able to sit there and get stops. His footwork is intelligent as can be. He also now is on the same level as our point guard, whether it be Tyus, Jaw, Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, whoever it may be. You've now got Brandon Clark and his athleticism running. With our, with our ball handler, that makes it so much better. Instead of it being a, a passing option as a trailer, they can sit there and do an outlet or they can pass to him on the same level. That just makes the fast break so more effective, and it also allows for him to get down the court faster even if the defense is back there before the defense can get set. Um, uh, Brandon is able to find his space um, to where he could receive a lob or a, a good look for a pass. And I think that was a difference maker tonight as well and kind of what wore Portland down. Yeah, and the scary thing in the coming years will be when Brandon doesn't have to find space on fast breaks. He doesn't have to find a playmaker. He doesn't have to space the floor. And when he improves his ball handling and is able to create for himself in the half court and on the break, you're looking at potential all-star talent for years to come. Once he is able to add that level to his game, he just needs to get in there with a weighted basketball, get some wrist weights like Jay will back in the day, and just work on nothing but ball handling and shooting this summer. And we're going to have no idea where his career goes after that. And the thing, the thing that I will say, though, is that it was needed tonight because the Grizzlies overall, their offense had been struggling a little bit. Ja performed well tonight. His all-around offensive game continues to get important or to, continues to improve. But we need this break could not have come at a better time. 
I feel as well, because two of the guys that really had um, helped us out, you know, when our offense was arguably a top five in the league, was Dylan and Jaron. And right they did a now, break. Yeah. Yeah, they need a break. They need a break. Their, their offense has been struggling, and uh, I, I think that it couldn't have come at a better time. They're going to have to get back on track, Nathan, yeah. after the All-Star break. And, you know, I'll let you talk about it a little bit, but with Jaron, I, I, I feel like the defenses are starting to figure him out. You know, what do you think about that? I mean, when it comes to Dylan and Jaron, besides just a break, are they going to have to make adjustments? Uh, for Jaron, um, first off, he's just not shooting as well. And some of that has to do with the defense, him and the scouting report and closing out better. And some of it's just him not shooting as well. It didn't matter how tightly he was being guarded over the course of those 15, 20 games when he was shooting 45% from three on about seven attempts a game. It didn't matter what the defense did. Um, one big issue that I've started to notice and why it didn't become an issue sooner rather than now I don't really know because this should have been a part of his scouting report for the very beginning he struggled and you could see it tonight even when he had Carmelo Anthony of all people guarding him in the post whether he's attacking off the dribble which he's very good at for his size that's always been one of his talents he relies entirely too heavy on his left hand, like far, far too much. It's not really so much that I think he can't score if he's right. It's just his instinct, his natural um, tendency to go back to his left, and defenders are going out of their way to take it away from him. And there were at least two possessions between Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza that Jaron, there was one time in a drive and one time he caught it in the post. He tried to turn back towards his left hand, and he just had nowhere to go, and his footwork looked terrible and he ended up throwing up a bad sh- he ended up getting blocked by Ariza on the drive and he ended up throwing up a bad shot against Carmelo Anthony not exactly a premier defender down in the low post um, Jaron's going to have to adjust his game he's going to have to become more versatile and that may not be a fix that we see until next year um, it's a little bit frustrating to see him thriving really finding himself like he did for the last couple of months and to see him kind of like crashing back down to earth I mean um, 34 minutes tonight, seven points. It's almost like Grant Williams, which is a good segue into the conversation that we need to have here with about 15 to 20 minutes left in this call. So, Sean, first, um, I don't think it's right for someone who slanders another NBA player to have the floor first. I'm going to give it to you, man. Well, so here's the thing that I will say about Grant Williams. And, and you know, it, the thing about it is this that needs to be understood. Grant Williams is someone who makes the most of the skill set that he has because of his mindset, because of his basketball IQ. When he was at Tennessee, he was so good at being able to just know the fundamentals, make the most of his opportunities. Yes, he was able to out-physical a lot of players, but he was just so good because he could outthink a lot of his opposition. That is harder to do in the NBA because this is the best of the best. Grant Williams, and I've said it, you know, ever since he he won two back-to-back SEC Player of the Year awards. Grant Williams is someone who elevates his game, even though he's got limited athleticism. He level he he um, elevates his game with his mindset, with his intelligence, and his instincts. The thing about that, though, is this: is that that does not mean that he's going to be an All Star level type player or have a rookie impact like Jar Brandon. 
It means he's going to be relevant. It means that he's going to be a valued member of a rotation, which he is right now with the um, uh, Boston Celtics. And the thing about it is, is that P.J. Tucker is someone that a lot of people said that he would be like. I think that that has some merit. So here's the thing. 2019 calendar year, I've got nothing to say. Grant Williams struggled, and it was expected he had to make an adjustment. He had to figure himself out. However, however, since January 1st, Grant Williams has started to figure it out. Now, the thing about it is he's not sitting here in a top 10 of scoring. He's not, you know, there's no statistical category in which Grant Williams is just lighting up the world. But he never was expected to be a player whose quantity statistics, his counting statistics, were ever going to sit there and just impress the heck out of anybody. It's, in my opinion, his efficiency and the quality of his play, and that's starting to show now. For example, for any rookie that's played 100 minutes or more since the beginning of this year, Grant Williams is ninth in field goal percentage, and he also is second in three-point field goal percentage. And he's 15 out of 30. It's not like he's only made two or three. He is in the top 10 for team for, for players that have played at least t- – or rookies that have played at least 10 games since the turn of the calendar and are averaging 10 or more minutes per game. He's top 10 in offensive rating top 10 in defensive rating, and he's also second in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. Now, I understand that is that that you can call that cherry picking. You can call that, um, you know, looking at it with, you know, rose-colored glasses. I get that. But also remember, he's playing 15 to 16 minutes, in, uh, 15 to 16 minutes a night as the third person off the bench for a true Eastern Conference contender as a 21-year-old. There's not a lot of rookies who are performing in that level and are continuing to get better. So I know that you have slandered him. I know that he has not been that impressive in terms of his counting stats. But as time has gone on and he's gotten more acclimated to the NBA, Nathan, he's become a much more quality player and is definitely holding his own and, and, and uh, validating you know, his place you know, in a rotation for one of the best teams in the NBA. First off, I want to say um, to all my opponents out there, um, I hold no ill will towards Grant Williams. He was actually somebody I liked a lot um, coming out of the NBA draft. I saw probably and maybe maybe my aspirations were entirely too high for him coming out of the NBA draft. But I saw someone that reminded me a little bit of Draymond Green coming out of Tennessee. So when the Grizzlies had the 23rd pick and then when they moved up to 21, I would not have hated it if they had taken Grant Williams. I was really hoping for Brandon Clark at 21 and the Grizzlies fulfilled my wish and got him. But Grant, uh, Grant, um, Grant Williams is somebody I liked a lot coming out of college. Um, there are two there are two guys I want to compare him to right now. They both have played for the Memphis Grizzlies over the last decade. One is Tayshawn Prince in his final year in Memphis, and another one is Sam Young. And Tayshawn Prince, much more than Sam Young, was a very high IQ basketball player. Um, He knew how to make the right plays. He knew how to be in the right positions. Um, He was a guy that you definitely wanted on your team. He was also somebody that Memphis fans were absolutely ready to run out of town right before the time they traded for Jeff Green because he just wasn't productive. He just simply was not productive on the court, no matter how great his mind was, no matter how well he could read the opponent, no matter how good his mind for the game was. If you simply aren't productive, you're not going to last in the league much longer. Uh, For Sam Young, his final season in Memphis, he averaged eight points a game, 
and two assists per 36 minutes. Sam Young was also a, he was a very good defender, very good athlete, even a high IQ basketball player, but he simply wasn't productive. He wasn't a very good shooter either. And he eventually found his way out of Memphis and he found his way out of the NBA as a whole. Now, Grant Williams, I'm going to use my Twitter thread here from about a week ago because I looked at his stats and there hasn't been really much of a change or disparity since then. Grant Williams is very much a high IQ basketball player. That's certainly not something I disagree with, and it's something I respect about him. It's something I respected about him at Tennessee, and it's something I respect about him in the NBA. And if he continues on this upward trajectory, now granted the sample size of shooting, you go through his games and yes, he may be shooting like 50% over the last 10 games. He rarely takes more than three shots in a game. So it's tough to get a large sample size one way or the other. 15 for 30 over the uh, uh, 15 for 30 from three over the sample size of games that you mentioned. That's pretty solid. And I'll give you that. But he desperately needs to continue and keep the trajectory if he wants to be a long-term productive NBA player because at the end of the day, it does not matter how high your IQ is. It doesn't matter how good of a teammate you are. I believe Grant Williams uh, bought gifts for just about everybody who worked for the Celtics using some of his rookie salary. He's a phenomenal dude. It was, That's very- it was Christmas candles. Don't, don't Christmas. sell it short. Christmas candles, Nathan. Christmas candles. Yeah, yeah. He's a phenomenal dude. And I'm not taking that away from him. But at the end of the day, first off, the Boston Celtics, as good as they are, they are not a very deep team. Um, They have some good guys at the end of their rotation, um, like uh, Daniel Theis. Um, But at the end of the day, Grant Williams, I'm not even sure if he would be getting consistent minutes on the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I don't know who off the bench you would put him ahead of if he were on the Memphis Grizzlies right now. The Boston Celtics are a great team. And Brad Stevens is a coach that has made his reputation off maximizing rosters that may not necessarily have the talent of the other top contenders in the NBA, but he maximizes maximizes them in such a way that they play like one. So he has been able to make the rotation of a contender, but I wonder if that's so much about Brad Stevens than it is about Grant Williams. But so here are a couple numbers that I want to read off from my Twitter thread about Grant Williams from over a week ago. Among all players in NBA history who have played as many games as Grant Williams, which was 45 at the time, that's 48 now, and has averaged at least the amount of minutes that he's played, just over 15, he currently ranks in the top 100 worst scoring per 100 possession seasons in NBA history. His current scoring average ranks second to last among all NBA players this season who have played his number of minutes. He is averaging the fewest points of any rookie this season who has played his number of minutes. When you take those type of numbers into consideration, Grant Williams is not productive enough right now to be a long-term NBA player. Now, maybe in year two, maybe in year three, he starts to find himself. He starts to become more comfortable when he starts to adjust to the NBA game. Maybe there's something there. And maybe he's already a very good, versatile defender, a very good team defender, a very high IQ basketball player. There are definitely places in the NBA for players like that. But you have to be productive at some point because if you are not productive, if you don't provide counting stats of any kind, there are other players out there who can. 
and they're not dumb low IQ players either that can do that as well. He's not a good rebounder uh, per 36 minutes. He's only averaging six rebounds per game. Um, that's about on par with Jaron Jackson, who's also a really bad rebounder in his own right. Um, he's not a scorer, as you have said, not a particularly good playmaker, even though I thought he would be a little bit better out of the short role and a little bit more um, ahead of where he is now as a playmaker at coming out of college. Really, the only things he has going for him right now is he's a high IQ basketball player who's a versatile defender, and he could shoot fairly well over a very small sample size over 10 to 15 games or so. If he continues on that trajectory, maybe, maybe he has a long-term place as a good, solid rotation player like P.J. Tucker in the NBA. But until I see some type of group, production from him some type of consistent production and it's not just a function of his role like Jack Noonan said to me on Twitter like a week ago because if your role on your NBA team means that you have to be one of the least productive rotation players in NBA history well then I think there's either something wrong with the player or there's something wrong with the role so I'm not opposed to the idea of Grant Williams having a 10 plus year NBA career but I certainly think there is some question about whether that's going to be the case now. And that's fair. I, I, I get your point. I understand that when he is, I'm not, I'm not here to, yeah, I'm not here to stomp my fist down and say he sucked his first 30 games in the NBA and therefore he will never be a good NBA player. I think compared to some of the rookies in his class and compared to historical precedent, it's not very promising when you take that into the picture, but these still, years to come but it's certainly it is far from a certainty in my mind and i do and i do understand that but you one thing it's not necessarily the utilization of grant himself in his role but it's his situation as well you typically don't see a guy who's drafted after the 20th pick in the first round a 21 year old who is a you know he's a valid member of a rotation of a team that is a true conference contender uh, for, for, for their conference titles to go to the NBA Finals. I get that his numbers are not that good, but I think that he, since he is in Boston's rotation, you, again, you, that's just not – that is not conducive as a lot of other opportunities. If Grant Williams was on like Minnesota or another team that clearly is playing for the future, he probably would get more opportunities that he could do more with to get counting stats. However, since he's in the rotation with Boston, with the players that he's with, Grant Williams is his future is is versatility, being able to be a versatile defender, being able to potentially be a facilitator, being able to get a good shot when he gets the opportunity. That's the first thing that I feel would make him a long-term option, you know, as a rotation player, as a reserve player. The other big thing is this, is that he's getting better in the system. He's adjusting as time goes on in a system where a coach is known to maximize players' talents. So if Grant continues to get better as a high IQ player, that's the exact type of player that some of the game's better coaches get the most out of. Anybody from Popovich's system, Popovich himself, I think all those guys, those were guys that a lot of people thought Grant Williams would be attractive with, would, would, would be a good fit for. So while I do get your point to where his numbers statistically may not be that encouraging for his future, Grant Williams isn't really the type of player who, when you look at his statistics, his usual, I call him fantasy 
tweets statistics, but his projected statistics, it's Grant Williams adds more than that. He does more for other players. He does the small things well. He makes the smart plays. And I think as time goes on and he becomes more efficient and effective with his stats, plus continues to add value outside of the box score, I really do feel that his growth is as a, is as a rotation player. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe five, seven years into his career, if he makes it that far, more than half of those years, he's in the playoffs. Now, obviously, I know that that's a likely scenario with Boston, but I think that's what will keep him relevant, his ability to add outside the box score, and I do think his growth, because as he becomes more acclimated to Brad Stevens' system, he will eventually find a way to become efficient and effective when it comes to actually producing statistics like assists, rebounds, and points. So I do think Grant has staying power for a decade, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely see about that. I, I guess the thing that's kind of like just kept me skeptical as far as him being a rotation player in the Celtics, and maybe it's the level of respect that I have for Brad Stevens' wizardry, but as far as the opportunities that Grant Williams gets, um, he's often playing with Simi Ojale, Enos Cantor, Wanamaker, and Marcus Smart, um, and obviously that's mixed in with the starters. Um, but you see the type of players that he's playing with, and I'm thinking, why does he not put up more production? It's not like that bench just has a ton of explosive firepower coming off of that. Shouldn't he be, especially be more productive of historical unprodu- or lack of production that he has shown this year? That's something that gives me pause, and to me it just seems like it's more of an example of Brad Stevens' wizardry that he's able to use a player like Grant Williams at the end of a rotation and still have the Celtics sitting at 37-16 and going into the All-Star break. I'm rooting for him. I really hope he succeeds. He's a really good guy, a really high character guy from everything I heard about him in Tennessee, from everything I heard about him in Boston, and he's somebody I legitimately, for lack of... uh, even though it may get me some pushback on Twitter, he's somebody I legitimately hope succeeds. Um, we're just going to have to see over the coming year for him. And I think it may, whether it takes Boston uh, falling out of title contention in the coming years, or it takes him moving to a new situation for us to see whether he actually has staying power in the NBA or not, because there's a chance to me that he could be in Europe in four or five years or, he could be a very good rotation player like P.J. Tucker or a Boris Diaw in five to ten years. And only time will tell on that. Let's get right to the point, though. What this comes down to, though, is your love for Memphis basketball and my love for Tennessee basketball. Let me I, I'm giving you this credit. No, 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 no. Let's, let me ask you this question. When you compared Grant Williams' statistics to any Memphis Tiger that's been in the league over the past five years, any Memphis Tiger rookie that's been in Which the league one? over the past five years, where did Grant Williams rank? Uh, I, I guess Jeremiah Martin. Oh, oh. <laughs> who just had who just had his first NBA game for <laughs> like five, like five games ago. I, I'm trying yeah. to think of anybody else who comes to mind. Uh, this is not an indictment on Memphis versus Tennessee basketball for the last five oh, years. That's an indictment. I'm putting it as there. You can't accept the fact that the most relevant talents out of Tennessee here recently are Tobias Harris and Grant Williams, and it bites at you. I'm kidding. I just had to point. I just had to put that in there. So, uh, well, it, I think it's more of an indictment of our state as a whole that the best player to come out of both of our 
our schools in the last five years as someone who's averaging three points a game, three points and two rebounds a game <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah. But, Sean, we're almost out of time, man. Why don't you go tell everybody who you are and plug your stuff, man? Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. Um, you, uh, My name is Sean Coleman. I, I have had the pleasure of uh, now being with GBB for a few years. I've um, gotten to know great guys such as Parker, Nathan, Connor, uh, Dunning, uh, Justin Lewis, obviously Joe Molinax and some others. Uh, you can find me at, at StatsSAC at S-T-A-T-S-S-A-C. Um, you can also uh, find our podcast, the 3ND Podcast, on Twitter at 3ndpod at gmail.com. Obviously can be found anywhere that GBB podcasts are. Um, and, and I'm just so glad to be a part of this family. Love the opportunity that comes through GBB. And uh, anytime I get to have a good conversation with folks like Nathan, all joking, uh, while we may disagree on players, I've got nothing but love for Nathan and Parker. They are great guys to uh, to talk basketball with that I consider friends. So I just I thank you for the opportunity, man. It, it was uh, great getting to spend some time talking Grizzlies with you. Yes, sir. And we got 10 seconds left on the call. So I'm Nathan Chester. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. We are GBB. Shot us the 3 and D podcast. I have the core four. And that is all, folks. (laughs) 